Deepest Thoughts is the show that you listen in to know what's What's going going on in sports today today and hear what Chris and Anshu say. The Deepest Thoughts podcast is brought to you by DeepestThoughts.com. Host Chris Horwadell and Anshu Khanna discuss today's biggest news from the world of sports and whatever else is on their minds. Deepest Thoughts is the show that you listen in to know what's going on in sports today and hear what Chris and Anshu say. Welcome to the Deepest Thoughts podcast, episode number 10. I'm Chris Porwardell, joined as always by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, a lot going on in the world of sports recently. And uh, you know, on a personal note, we had to pull ourselves aside because we're talking about The Office. So we'll get back to that afterwards. Yes. But quite a bit of uh, quite a bit going on in the sports world. Let's let's start with baseball. Just today, you know, news comes out: Jose Batista resigns with the Toronto Blue Jays, one year, eighteen million dollars option, mutual options for uh, eighteen and nineteen could make the deal worth up to sixty. So basically, all that happened, all of this nonsense over the last couple of months about Batista going for this huge payday. Uh, reportedly demanding five years, one fifty from the Blue Jays before he made himself eight hundred thousand dollars by declining the QO. Yeah, and I mean that's uh, if that's his tax on seeing what the market was like, that's fine. He didn't end up costing himself too much. I I, I do wonder if he has lowered his his salary demands if his agents have done better due diligence, maybe he gets a longer term guaranteed deal for a little bit less money because mm-hmm. the, the possibilities or the likelihood of him getting three and 60 or actually seeing the end of that contract seems extremely unlikely to me, wouldn't you say? No, absolutely not. Those are two mutual options. Everything's going to have to go right. He's going to have to outperform this contract in order just to get the next year picked up. And then he won't want to pick the next year up. Right, exactly. Well, we'll see if because of his age, but I, I, I think it's it's possible this goes to two for forty, you know, and, mm. and that would seem to make sense for all parties, assuming the Jays are still competitive next year after this year. But it's it's just uh, you know, it always made sense that he should go back, and I think this would have been an unmitigated disaster if the Blue Jays lose Encarnacion and Bautista yeah. and had Kendris Morales and nothing. Um, so that. I, think they can still sell their fans on the fact that this is still going to be a competitive-ish team and uh Morales you can sort of vaguely see replacing Encarnacion Encarnacion's production and hopefully Bautista stays healthy and they can kind of replicate what they did last year but in that division it's hard to imagine and um but you know Bautista's kind of a hero up there and it, it makes sense as far as the deal it's, it's a creatively done deal and um, you know, I think that he'll end up he'll end up seeing the two years, like I said, and then he'll be going year to year after that, assuming he's still able to play. A lot of talk that Batista could potentially end up with the Indians over the last couple of days. Did you think there was anything to that? And you know, did that sort of put an onus on the Blue Jays to make this deal? Yeah, it, I I didn't really see that. I thought it was a very creative thought process that the Indians were indeed doing their due diligence and seeing how they could move some money around. But the fact is, this is a franchise in Cleveland that needs to move money around to justify making that kind of mm-hmm. investment. And uh, and they also would be costing themselves another pick after they lost one uh, in signing Encarnacion. They would then give up that second one in signing Bautista with the QO um, attached to him. So it would have been, 
you know, it would have been another big investment. And again, they would have had to find a suitor and there, there would have been, had to have been a lot of dominoes to fall. Um, but you know, if it had gotten close to spring training, then you'd have to see, you know, it's a possibility, but I, I never really thought that that was a huge likelihood by any means. I don't think that, you know, obviously they gave up the one for Encarnacion. I don't think that this team would have had a hard time giving up a second round pick if it means signing a, a 40 home run guy in the middle of the lineup for a team that no, sees it's, itself as a potential World Series challenger. I, I agree. The money is a much bigger factor yes. for them, especially yes. after investing in Encarnacion. But it's a non-zero factor also for True. a team that is hoping to build out its farm system and just gave up some pieces for Andrew Miller and then will now not have Andrew Miller likely after mm. this season. So just something to consider, you know, another second round pick, another top, what, top 60 pick going by the wayside. It's just, you know, it, it figures into the calculus of making that kind of signing. So I agree that it's nothing like what you would have for a different type of QL player, um, but it is something to consider. Fair enough. How about those Philadelphia Phillies on Chicana? Making big moves all off season. Oh, going, huge moves. Going after the ring, signing 2016 all-star outfielder Michael Sounders from the Seattle Mariners. And uh, this is really a, sort of a tale of two seasons, uh, sort of shoved together in one last year. Before the all-star break, this guy is spectacular. After the all-star break, he and I hit about 100 points apart. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think we talked about this uh, a couple of shows ago when the Phillies had made another signing of a veteran. Howie Kendrick? Um, just, uh, was it Howie oh, Kendrick? No, it was, I think it was the Buckles trade. Oh, right, right. It was the Buckles trade. That's what it was. Um, the idea that, you know, they – it's worth the investment for a team that doesn't have a lot to get to yeah. lose yeah. out of a signing like this or a trade like, or like the Buckholz deal, um, low risk, high reward. I mean, if he replicates his all-star stuff, either they're good, like really good with him and Buckholz and others, mm -hmm. or, you know, they can flip Saunders and get themselves a nice little piece for when they are good. And I, again, I, I said it then I'll say it again. Now, these are the kinds of calculated moves that I think a bold, an intelligent front office, good forward thinking front office does um, the types of moves that we mentioned the Cubs doing in, in enabling themselves to sign mm -hmm. Scott Feldman and flipping him for Jake Arrieta, signing Hamill and Samarja, and, or they didn't sign Samarja, but they had him, and then flipping them for Addison Russell. I mean, these are the kinds of moves you that are smart and calculated, and you know they they don't really cost you much other than some money. Um, so I, I think that it's a it's a well executed move by the Phillies front office. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's nice to have a guy who's going to make you more competitive while also not really blocking anybody. There's some talk that Saunders and uh, and Kendrick in the outfield means that there's no room for Nick Williams or uh, Roman Quinn or Alan Altier or... Or Dylan Cousins. Here's the one, yeah. Well, mm -hmm. you know, he's coming off of he's coming off of wrist surgery. He did nothing last year. You know, it takes it takes a couple of seasons for people to get power back. So I don't mind him being the fourth outfielder. He can you know, Altier can play center, so he'll get his at bats. I'm not worried about that. And you can you can let Nick Williams, who is super talented but kind of a head case, get himself right in AAA or completely fall apart in AAA. You can see if Cousins can continue to mash getting away from Redding and uh and you can see if Quinn can stay healthy for more than a week and a half in a row this sure is, this no I, great as thing. long as you're not blocked yeah no no and if anything 
you know, you have you rent him for half a season, and then you can even further justify bringing up a Williams or an mm-hmm. Elkier or whatever, giving them more playing time after that fact because you can say you've blocked them for half a year. So, I mean, it just gives you more and more options, and there's nothing, no harm in that. They're not close, really, in my world uh, right Watch now, it. so it, it makes it. perfect sense. Nola says he's going to be 100% healthy. I expect, what do you think, conservatively 25 wins from Buckholz this year? Uh, I'm a big starting pitcher wins guy, so I I put a lot of investment in saying that, yes, 25 wins is the bare minimum. Good. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Uh, speaking of signing players to potentially flip them later on and taking low-risk, giant reward-type moves, We've been talking about him for weeks now. Tyson Ross finally landed, and he's going to be a Texas Ranger on a one-year deal. Yeah, and I, this is kind of the other side of the scenario of the coin where you're talking about a guy playing for a team that kind of needs him to be good. I mean, mm-hmm. the Rangers have, have need a big-time pitcher like Ross to be a big-time pitcher like Ross. I mean, if, he, if he's bad, they're kind of in trouble because this, this move, I don't want to say – certainly precludes making a big deal for a pitcher, but it kind of does. I mean, they can sell this to themselves as, okay, this is our number three. He's going to be our guy. He's going to be our big trade piece instead of trading for a Jose Quintana or, or, you know, a Sonny Gray or someone like along those lines. They're now saying that they're expecting Tyson Ross to be that guy. And that is, that's a dangerous game, but also we've talked about it being a high risk, high reward game. In, In other teams cases, it's low risk, high reward for them, for the Rangers, for a team that needs a number three pitcher, it's really a high risk move because you know you're blocking yourself from signing other guys. It seems like, um, and they've now hit their cap on money, I think, as well. So, kind of a dangerous move for a team like this. But again, we've talked about how Ross at his best can be a number two starter, and that's mm-hmm. that's the price you pay for a player like that, I guess. Well, do you think they really need him to be a number three that badly? Because I'm a pretty big fan of Martin Perez. So I, I like what they have in Perez's three. Granted, you know, it hasn't proved a ton at the major league level at this point. But awesome raw stuff. And, and you know, they're also gambling on Kashner. Yeah, I guess Kashner's the other side of that as well. And Kashner could potentially be moved into the bullpen. Um, I guess my fear comes from the fact that not only are Ross and Kashner and Perez all risks, but, you know, Cole Hamels is not the guy he was either. Mm-hmm. And you Darvish is off injured. That, that's putting it kindly. So you're really banking. I mean, this kind of reminds me of the Yankees a little bit this year in that you're really banking on guys that a lot of risk and not a whole lot of certainty for a team that wants to be competitive and is playing in the same division as the Astros or who look like a, if not the favorite, then certainly one of the top three favorites in the American League. Mm-hmm. And, very likely the favorite in the division. I, I just think that you're, you're, there is a lot of risk involved for a team that doesn't necessarily have to have that risk. So I'm not saying that the Ross signing is bad. I've, I've, we've both been advocating it since day one of this offseason, it seems like. But I think that in concert with all these all these risky pitchers, you're, you're, it's the ultimate you're not giving answer. yourself a ton of outs, basically, and you're not giving yourself a very high floor. That's fair. They did sign another couple of interesting players to minor league deals. Do you think either Dylan Gee or Josh Hamilton has uh, any chance of making the big league club this year? 
Yeah, they they both do. And again, because of the risk involved in the rotation, G is probably the more likely of the two. Mm. And Hamilton, you know, Hamilton's Hamilton. You know what you're getting. I mean, if he if he recovers some of the power that made him, that probably didn't fade too much. I mean, he's not that old. Uh, if he's able to recapture some of that magic and and in a in a humid, mostly humid ballpark and it's a hitter's park, there's no there's no doubt that he could potentially bring back some of what he had, but it's, it's, you know, it's all, it's all pretty risky still. And I wouldn't expect either of them to make a huge impact, but both of them have a chance. Do we really know what we're getting with Josh Hamilton though? I mean, this is a guy who's, whose career peak is, is league MVP and his career, you know, floor is doing drugs outside the stadium. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm, I'm saying, I guess I'm saying, you know, what his strengths are what his ceiling is, that's a good way of putting it. I guess he, you don't necessarily know who you, what you have, but you know that what he could be. And those skills don't usually diminish with age. I would yeah. say at least not where he is right now. He's not 40 years old. A guy's still got talent. We're looking at Bautista looking at a potential three-year deal with options. So, um, you know, I, I think that they know what they're getting. And so there's a possibility that he could, they don't know what they're getting, but they know what his ceiling is, and they know what he could contribute to the team if all goes well. So, and nobody knows a Josh Hamilton better than the Rangers. So, you know, they it's a calculated risk there for them. Sure. Uh, let's talk football for a second. Specifically, nobody wants the San Francisco 49ers job. Just no one wants to take this job. <laughs> the four, I think the 49ers envisioned them coming in with a new front office of like McDaniels as the head coach and Trent Kirchner is their general manager, but both McDaniels and Kirshner said, yeah, no thank you. Even Tom Cable doesn't want this job. Uh, apparently they're now offering it to Kyle Shanahan. He's the front runner to get the head coaching spot, but you know Shanahan seems like he's interested in that Broncos job, and rightfully so. I don't know. What, what happens here? How did this team become this much of a mess? This One of the, the most historic, you know, glory-filled franchises in all of football is just an abysmal joke right now. Well, Shanahan wanted the Broncos job, I think. Yeah, obviously went to Vance Joseph. That's true. Very good. um, From what I read, uh, what I'm seeing is Tom Cable and Trent Kirchner were kind of a package deal from Seattle, and Mm. it seems like the Niners don't want Cable, and they at this point they, they're focused in on Shanahan. McDaniels indeed did just say no to them mm-hmm. straight up and um it seems like some of their GM candidates have fallen by the wayside. But um I think what I what I've seen is that they liked Kirchner but he said if they're not taking cable, they're not getting me and the Niners are fine with that. Uh but it seems like some of the names that they're interested in the Elliott Wolves so and Brian Gudikins from Green Bay mm-hmm. and then some of the other uh other other potential options including mcdonough i believe from arizona they're they're uh, I, I agree i think that there's not a whole lot of love for this job and i think that part of the reason why is they're doing this whole thing backwards i know that the seahawks got carol and then hired john schneider but you know you're i don't know that you reallocate your entire I, I don't know that you do it backwards for a guy like kyle shanahan i mean he's done an amazing job with atlanta this year um, and he's done good jobs in the past, but I, I don't know that I would do it backwards in this case. I don't know. what What's your, do you have a general policy on the top down nature of hiring or do you, do you think that you just get the best person and then 
best people and then just jam them together. You know, that's that's interesting because I hadn't really considered that. And I think it, it depends on where you are as a franchise in terms of prestige because if you're in a position like the 49ers apparently are right now where the best guys just don't want to be there, you sort of have yeah. to take the best guy you can get and then fit other pieces in around him. But in an ideal world, I like I do like a top-down power structure. I, can I say I hate the idea of GM coaches? I think it's incredibly stupid for oh, yeah. any, anyone to have both of those roles. Um, it's, it's, it's worked maybe twice over long periods of time. You know, oh, a little the greatest bit. coach of all time. You know a yeah. little bit about that. Um, uh huh. Did not go well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like the idea of hiring a general manager. General manager implements the rest of it. He hires the coach. Right. Coach can hire his assistants. But uh, if you're the 49ers, you just, if somebody if somebody quality wants to be tied to this organization, I think you just have to fig- take them and figure it out. You know, and and does this put any? You know, is there any talk of Mike Shanahan being part of this? Because I know he was a big part of the, big part of the team's interest when the Broncos were were sniffing around Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, I um, you know it seemed like actually last year or two years ago. I'm not sure if it was the Chip Kelly search or when they ultimately hired Tom Sula, but Mike Shanahan seemed like he was, if not the front runner, certainly very much in contention to be their coach and to bring Kyle with him. Yeah. And as the offensive coordinator, now Kyle is the hotly sought after candidate and maybe Mike becomes a GM or some kind of emeritus position in the front office. And I don't know if you remember, but Mike Shanahan, the GM, was not very good at what he did. And that ended up ultimately costing him his job in Denver, if I'm not mistaken. Then he he was kind of the final say in Washington. Well, maybe not the final say, but he and uh, and the guy from the Bucks were both working kind of in concert, and that didn't work out really. Mm. So um, I, I think that um, Rich McKay, I think that's who it was. Anyways, uh I, I would guess that Mike Shannon will have some sort of voice if they were to hire Kyle, but I'm not sure that they would be like a GM head coach combo or what Shanahan's role would really be. But it, it is something to keep an eye on for sure. Maybe maybe he goes to be the coordinator like the Lane and Monty Kiffin deal. Well, speaking of dumpster fire organizations, I think it's interesting what's going on <laughs> in Jacksonville right now. Because you know, we discussed whether or not Jacksonville could be a team that would look to Tom Coughlin as a potential head coach, and then you know, I put forth the idea of bringing in the sort of coach and waiting with him. Now, that's not exactly what they did, but they did bring Tom Coughlin in as their executive VP. They hired Doug Marone, who I don't know how he keeps getting jobs in the uh. NFL as their head coach. And now, because old-school Tom Coughlin – no one would fit better with him than potential offensive coordinator Chip Kelly. Oh, man. I This has so much disaster potential. I oh, yeah. can't even put it into words. I mean, the idea of Chip Kelly as an offensive coordinator with Doug Marone, who, you know, has his own offensive philosophy. Yep. And it doesn't really seem to jive well with what I would expect Chip Kelly's to be. Nope. I just – I really – I do not see Chip Kelly taking a backseat to anyone, much less a guy like Doug Marone. I know that Tom Coughlin's kind of Chip's guy. Um, I attempted to hire him out of New Hampshire, if I'm not mistaken, to the Giants way back when. But that is that just seems this seems irrational, and I I do not see how this ends up working out. But 
you know, I guess stranger things have happened. I just, I really have trouble picturing how this doesn't end up poorly unless somehow Blake Bortles were to reclaim some of his potential and, yeah. you know, and Chip Kelly immediately flees for the best college coaching job next year. Well, I, I think, if anything, this is going to be the, the death knell for for Blake Bortles as a, a starting quarterback in the NFL <laughs> if Chip Kelly does get this offensive coordinator job because it, that's a terrible fit. I remember when Chip Kelly was in Philadelphia, week in, week out, you would have players coming out, opposing players coming out after the game talking about how they knew exactly what we were going to run because of the formations, because there's no variation in the formations with how they want to play this up-tempo yeah. offense. Yeah, I, I don't think Blake Bortles is a good fit for that. He is certainly not the kind of quarterback who Chip Kelly had any sort of success with when he was at Oregon. He's you know the furthest thing from that. Um I don't know. I mean, maybe they go after free agent Matt Barkley to fill in the starting quarterback position. Chip, Chipper loved him in Philadelphia. Uh, if nothing else, no. there there is an exciting thing about this for Jacksonville fans, and that is you're going to be in excellent position to pick whoever you want in the 2018 NFL. <laughs> That's very true. I I cannot believe that they have these three guys potentially all in the same sort of general vicinity of yeah. making coaching decisions I you talk about three type a guys too i poor doug marone he this guy is gonna get buried under coughlin and kelly i just it makes no sense i i i don't know it's and you know i i respect the cons a lot i think that they do good they're they're at the front of the analytics world Mm -hmm. but they have they i think they they majorly bungled this and i'm not really sure what the just i just don't get the justification behind why why go back and you know it's just one of those things we, we've kind of battled with this back and forth and I don't think either of us are have a, heat, a great hot take on it but like you know why keep going back to the well with yeah. some of these guys that have just proven that they haven't done anything at the pro level I mean it's just and then you're talking about Tom Coughlin who's like you know 80 years old I, and you're coupling him with the front office that wants to be analytic driven and now you're throwing Chip Kelly into the mix who is some mix weird mix of the in the middle it's just like Mm -hmm. the strangest brew of all time i i I just i can't wrap my head around it yeah was doug marone even that how did he get his first nfl job i don't understand that he wasn't that good a coach at syracuse like what happened i have no idea how does this guy keep getting coaching jobs (laughs) and there is never he must be go ahead be the best interviewer of all time right like the opposite opposite of like a doug tobe or one of these, Dave Tobe, sorry, one of these guys that has been like a football lifer that can just never, ever seem to get a job. And he's got to be just the polar opposite of that. These guys must just fall in love with the Doug Marone plan when he busts out his PowerPoint in front of these coaches, <laughs> these front offices. You know, like, I mean, that's got to be it, right? It, it, it doesn't make any sense otherwise. I don't know. Does this Coughlin know he can bully this guy? <clears throat> Does Coughlin know that, that that Maroon is basically is Maroon just basically a figurehead head coach for this team and Coughlin's calling? That's what I'm saying. Coughlin's calling I, the I shots mean, and Chip Kelly's running the offense. I, I mean, by the way, what did the what a recipe for disaster that would be? But <laughs> I don't I don't know. Poor poor Doug I, uh, and, and and poor Helen Maroon who has to, has to deal with Doug every night coming home crying. <laughs> the, yeah. How did he get the Syracuse job to begin with? Was he? What was that story like? How did he end up there? Um. Well, let's let's see. I've... Was he an offensive coordinator for Tampa or someone? Prior. I can't remember. To... 
apparently he has. Okay, so Maroon's first season, blah, 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 December 8th. Syracuse head football coach, Jeff Lotru. So apparently, Maroon was the guy that some prominent alumni were really pushing for. Okay. And I guess that pushed him into the position. It actually. But what was his position before it? Uh, I'm looking for it. He was the Saints offensive coordinator from 06 to 08. Oh. So there, there okay. you go. That'll work. That'll do it. Yeah, uh, anytime you could be the non-play caller for an elite offense. This is my problem, too, with, like, Sean McVay getting the job yeah. in L.A. Like, Why? Okay, dude, he doesn't – Jay Gruden's the guy, obviously. They've uh-huh. got a pretty good quarterback with a ton of intelligence in Kirk Cousins, and this is 30 years old, and suddenly he's, like <clears> – <throat> Someone to get really excited about. I mean, I granted they bring in Wade Phillips. That's a huge coup for the for the Rams. But what like do you do? These people not look at what these guys do. I mean, the guy didn't even call plays for his offense. I and I understand play calling is not like a prereq to being a head coach or whatever. But if you're 30, yeah. like what were his responsibilities with Washington? I mean, was it like, hey, Kirk, I did some of the research for <laughs> next week's team. And, Jay, these are the play calls I would suggest doing. But, you know, you're the play caller and Kirk's the guy. And so, you know, like, what is – it's it's like a Doug Marone situation. You're caught between two huge stars, basically. And I don't really get the responsibilities. Plus, he's 30. So, yeah. I just – I don't get it. And the, N- the NFL may be, may be second only to the NBA in, in terms of sports where like, you can't be 30 years old and – go yelling at a 35-year-old veteran linebacker. Like, you can't do no. it. They're, they're not going to respect no. you. No, like, look, he could be good. I, I Who knows? Maybe, well, maybe that, that's fine. the best I thing just... you can say about him is we don't know if he's good or not. Like, we right. don't, we don't know that, he's not bad, so hey, he's not Jeff Fisher, right, guys? Yeah, yeah so this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Is it worth, would you rather go back down the well with a guy like, you know, like Doug Marone? Or, you know, Mike Malarkey or whatever. Uh, or do you go mix it up with a young guy like McVeigh where it's like the devil you know versus the devil you don't, you know? And it's like, uh, I, there's a middle ground. I, would, I think there's there, a middle hire ground a to be grown up head coach who hasn't gotten right. a job. I think Kyle Shanahan is the perfect mix of the two. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not saying he's a slam dunk, he's just the kind of guy that I would want to hire. I would want to get somebody that I trust based on the fact that he's called plays, that he's operated an entire side of the ball, that he's got that sort of, uh, you know, he's got the bloodlines clearly, like he's been around the game a good amount and, you know, he's played a little bit. I'm not saying Kyle Shanahan's a lot to be good by any means, but I'd rather do that than go back down the well with somebody. And I definitely would rather do that than go with a guy that hasn't done anything like McVay. Yeah. If it's me and, I'm I'm forced to hire somebody, especially forced to hire somebody who hasn't had a head coaching job before. I'm going for Tobe. I really think Dave Tobe's going to be a good coach when he finally gets a shot. I, li- I also like Matt Nagy on that staff, but you know we're uh, mm-hmm. we're kind of doing that same th- kind of doing the same thing right now with uh, Doug Peterson, and that's uh, mixed results. Yeah, is one way to put it. Well, that was my that was my concern with the Doug Peterson hire, and I, I think that I had he's a little bit that. different because he played, and, but he didn't call plays for them either. No, and you know I, I think that that is an automatic concern. It's not a requirement, like I said, but it's just 
it raises red flags right off the bat. I mean, it gives you less credibility than you otherwise would have mm. both inside your locker room and with the press and with your fans. And it just gives you fewer outs. And I think that that's, I have, you were talking about like, you know, what do we not, we don't know about McVay. I, I think you could make all those same arguments with Peterson, but at least Peterson played and is older and has been around the game a little bit more. I think that that was much more justified than, than someone like McVay. My biggest problem with Peterson is his personality. He's very much a beta personality. And I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like that in an NFL head coach. And also, you know, it was interesting because the one thing that Chip Kelly was very good at was press conferences. Chipper is he's mm-hmm. fun to listen to. You know, he's he's self-righteous and he's self-involved, but he's a football historian. He knows everything that's ever happened in the NFL and he is somebody who is inter- you know, he's he's inherently interesting to listen to. Whereas Doug Peterson kind of comes off as this like bumbling hick. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think there are plenty of people that would rather go the other way with it. It's like you always go the complete opposite of what you just had. Yeah, that's uh, true. You had the ultimate type A coach in Chip Kelly, and now you have the ultimate type B coach in Peterson. I don't think there's I you know I wouldn't immediately dismiss it out of hand on either about either being a bad thing, but it's definitely something you should consider and make a big part of it. And you know his his chemistry with Roseman and all of that is is super critical too and that's probably something we're ignoring a little bit like i mean this is still a mostly political position so or largely political position so that that part of it can't be ignored well going back to it the rams just did exactly the same thing going from the the coach who we absolutely positively know what he is and what he's going to do in jeff fisher Mm -hmm. to this giant shrug your shoulders question mark in mcveigh it's that's it's a great point. I, I would be interested to see at the end of all of this once the Niners pick theirs to go back and see, like, compare each position to their previous coach and just mm-hmm. notice it. Because you literally could not be more different from Fisher with a guy like McVay. Yeah, can we uh, could we possibly get Jeff Fisher in as the defensive coordinator for that Jacksonville team? Because that would just really complete things nicely. Oh, man. <laughs> or Rex Ryan. Either one yeah, would just be I, I love perfect. the idea of Fisher because Ryan is at least competent. Jeff Fisher is the ultimate. Like, I, how does he keep getting? How does he keep getting jobs? He's. he's I, I'm telling record. you, man. It's... The, the nicest thing the Rams could do was fire him when they did, so that he he only tied the record, the NFL record for most losses as a head coach. Because had he held the position for one more week, he would own that on his own. <laughs> no question. Yeah, it's you know, I, it has to be similar to the. Uh, to the situation we were just talking about with Maroon, where the you know the the interviewing must be a huge factor. Like Jeff Fisher's just got to be the, just killing interviews, just fucking up, kissing ass, just being an amazing interviewer, right? I guess, but he is he's so unlikable. How is that even possible? Maroon's like, all right, I can see where I would like him as a human being. I don't see the redeeming mm-hmm. qualities in Jeff Fisher. I, I don't mind him. I oh, and I mean, he's got connections everywhere. You know that's what that's what sold the Bears on John Fox, like yeah. reinstalling professionalism and building a good staff around you and all that crap that doesn't all actually that matter crap. really. No, that stuff absolutely matters. That stuff absolutely. Yeah, matters. no, you're right. Maybe it's a but little I mean, bit overrated. Why, God forbid you hire a guy on his merit. <laughs> that's a fair point. That's not really how the NFL works. Is the problem. 
No, that's what I'm saying. It's a largely political situation. Yeah, I don't know. And uh, just to wrap this all up in a bowl, I don't know how. I just don't understand how a team that was in the Super Bowl, what, four years ago, is now in a position where they can't even get anyone to come interview for them. Uh, it's just... It's a mess. I, I, as an NFL fan, I want the 49ers to be good. That's Joe Montana's team. That's Steve Young's team. That's the catch, the drive. That's Dwight Clark and Jerry Rice. That's This is not, you know, Vance McDonald and Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> well, Vance McDonald and Colin Kaepernick, I'm pretty sure, were just on an NFC champion. So well, something to consider. That's a, that's a fair point. What's... I guess Kaepernick was the. I guess he took over for Alex Smith in that Super Bowl year, right? Smith got hurt. Oh yeah, he uh, single-handedly destroyed the Packers repeatedly. You know the uh, the good year yeah. for Kaepernick. And, yeah, very good. I he was he was he was well on the fast track to being very very good, and that really uh, hit the skids when Harbaugh left. Yeah, what do you do? You think he just needs a domineering personality to sort of keep him doing what he's supposed to be doing? Because obviously, we've seen left to his own merits, it's just complete nonsense. Yeah, I you know I, I think one specific dominating personality, and that's the brilliance that clearly is Jim Harbaugh. I mean, yeah. the guy guy clearly knows offense, and I think it's just a matter of time before he's back in the pros. Great. Let's uh, let's talk about this past weekend. Big divisional round. Did something uh, happen? Yeah, I mean, what happened was the the Philadelphia 76ers continued to win uh, <laughs> six of the last six of the last eight games right now, now tied in uh, for the number five pick in the NBA draft with the Los Angeles Lakers, which is actually really bad for us. But I'd love to see yeah, us pick up good. a couple of losses. <laughs> but uh, but winning's fun. Um, no, the divisional playoffs. It's kind of a, a, a tale of two different days. Saturday was just. You know, fun football, but not good football. We start off with the Atlanta Falcons absolutely decimating the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Oh, man. That was, well, scary as a Packer fan, but uh, I think you just saw the continued, what, what we've seen for the entire part of the year. And, you you know, it was bad, but it was, it was I guess, nice or comforting to see the sample size realize itself in a one-game uh, sample as well. Like, I mean, the Falcons have been better than the Seahawks over the, especially the, over the last ten or so weeks, and they just dominated. I mean, yeah. flat out, the Seahawks without Earl Thomas are a different team. Um, you know, there was that opening drive. You kind of think the Seahawks are gonna maybe have their way, maybe make this kind of an explosive game, and the Falcons just dominated. This is not the same Falcons team that's bowed out in previous years. Yeah. I, I think that it's it's very impressive. Quinn's got them going. You know, that defense is playing beyond the some of its parts and it's uh it's a very very scary team and that that crowd was riled up i think that it was they're, they're a dangerous team obviously and um and it was pretty humbling to see them take out uh, a team that's been so good for the last four or five years and it was very strange to see russell wilson just go down like that yeah i think there's this uh there's this opinion that the Falcons' defense isn't good because historically the Falcons' defense hasn't been very good. But this is a good, good aggressive defense in Atlanta that doesn't get nearly enough credit. And Matt Ryan is the MVP of the NFL this year. Yeah, I mean, I would 
I agree, but I'm not I, excited would you give about it. To, it. I, would you try and give it to someone else is what you're saying? No, I look, he deserves it. His numbers are better. His, you know, his overall ability and his improvement too. Mm-hmm. Is, like if we're taking each season on its own, then I think it's only fair to give it to Ryan. But like at the end of the day, I would still take two other guys over him, mm-hmm. which I personally think is the definition of most valuable player generally over the course of the season. Which player would you take over all the others? But, you know, for this year, he, he deserves it. I understand why he'll get it, and, you know, he will get it. So he's clearly the MVP. One of those guys is obviously Chase Daniel. Who's the other player you would take over? <laughs> it's Chase and we already said Colin Kaepernick. So Chase and Kaepernick. God, that makes, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and in probably the biggest lock of this entire playoff season, Deion Lewis and the New England Patriots just – manhandled the Houston Texans team that just wasn't ready to be there. This is this Texans team, you know, they get by on the merits of their defense and an outstanding secondary specifically, but this was never going to be a football game on you. I, you know what? I, it shouldn't have been, it was closer than it should have been. And it was an 18 point game. Yeah. It tells you <laughs> how different, how stark the difference is between these two teams and more, more accurately, these two quarterbacks, because I think if you put a league average quarterback with that that defense, I think that the Texans give keep this within you know a score. But man, Brock Osweiler was an absolute disaster, as yeah. everyone could have assumed. And the Patriots Patriots stood up. I mean, they just they dominated this game at home, and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. It wasn't pretty. I thought. I mean, Deion Lewis was great. Tom Brady was not. He threw two picks. I think that that was the same as what he threw in the previous 16 games. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, or whatever, he played 12 games. I think that the Patriots are the Patriots and the Texans are the Texans, but the Texans with a better quarterback would have made it a much more interesting game. And I think that the, if they were to change quarterbacks this offseason and they add J.J. Watt back, that's a team to watch next year for sure. Well, what do you do with Osweiler? Because he just signed that huge contract. Cutting him creates giant cap problems. You know what is? What do you do if you're running the Texans moving forward? Oh, I, I mean, you can't cut him, but yeah. I think you have to. You absolutely have to look at what you have as far as backups with Savage, and I think you absolutely must look at this year's class, draft class. I think you've got to look at it and yeah. think. You know, maybe. And and frankly, I would take a look at Tony Romo if I was a Texans. I think that they are in a very very unique spot. You know, Tony Romo doesn't have to move too far, clearly. Um, And I think that this is the ideal team for him because flat out you can't can't count on Tony Romo for more than eight games. But if you add him to Osweiler and kind of maybe Osweiler learns a little bit from him, maybe a little bit of humility next to him. Mm. Um, I, I think that it can't hurt really at all for them. And yeah, it would be a little bit of an investment, probably a huge investment actually. But if they had the money to move around, I this is that's the approach I would take. They're a very uniquely situated team that, to add Romo. Yeah, and that was the concern I immediately had was that all of a sudden you're tying up a lot of money at the quarterback position. It looks like next year, oh boy, um, yeah, next year Roma makes 14. Uh, in 2018, he makes 19.5, and in 2019, he makes 25. Well, assuming that Romo either gets cut or He's not there's some cut. kind of agreement, I think that's very much possible. Oh, I don't think like, he, I don't think there's even a chance that Romo gets cut. The Cowboys are going to trade him for something. 
We'll see. I, I don't think it's. I first of all, what do you think they get for a get for Romo? Mid round pick. Nothing. Nothing more than a okay. four. Yeah, I was gonna say they're probably not getting a lot. Maybe they feel like they're indebted to him a little bit and say, hey, you know, well, or maybe they agree to trade him to the Texans. I mean, who knows? They mm-hmm. they pick up some of that salary. I don't know exactly what they'll do. I'm just saying that that's that's an interesting fit to me because. They have a natural backup then with with Osweiler from Romo. And, frankly, Bill O'Brien's a pretty damn good coach, uh, and I, I trust him offensive scheme-wise. So I think that Romo with him would be very interesting. They've got the weapons, and if you're Romo, that's that's a spot that you might want to go to as well. Yeah, obviously Romo's been uh, sort of connected to the Broncos quite a bit, but, yeah, this is uh... – an interesting yeah, allegedly not, that's that's not happening though. According well, to Denver says they're not interested, but that just that's just a negotiation. I mean, that's what you would say if yeah. you want to trade for the guy. You're not going to say, "Oh yeah, we would love that." What do you want? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, very it's, true. Like, it's like you're buying a used car. You show absolutely no interest at all, then you go and talk about how cheap you can get it. <laughs> very true I, I can't disagree with that so Osweiler makes 16 next year 18 the year after that and 13 the following year so that's a disaster um you know actually <laughs> I heard it, like how much negative value does Brock Osweiler have at this point because I heard a really interesting idea a couple of weeks ago maybe three weeks ago now and tell me which team says no to this trade so the Texans are going to trade Brock Osweiler and a second-round pick to the Cleveland Browns for a seventh-round pick. Oh, wow. Should... And the Browns take on the entirety of the contract? Exactly. Who says no to that? Which they can afford to do because with they have no problem. Like one big contract. Yeah, Yeah, with no problem um, at all. Yeah, probably. Oh, man. We've never really seen teams Ooh. buying draft picks with cap space, but they're sort of in a unique position where they can do that. How long is the deal for Osweiler? Through 2019? Through 2019, yeah. Well, theoretically, I mean, I would think that he probably doesn't make it through that contract. They they can afford to yeah. to cut him and just basically buy a draft pick for $50 million. Yeah, and you might as well have him if you've got him. Uh, like throw him out there. Boy, that's really interesting, actually. I I might just do that if I was both. I'm guessing the Texans don't do it because they're they're thinking, well, whatever, we'll just keep him here. It's not worth it's not worth giving up our second. We might as well just keep the backup and keep the money, unless there was somebody that we really wanted, like maybe Romo. But you well, know, and I, would this yeah, sort of have to be a prelude to a Romo trade too? Because you need to clear cap room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or Cutler, even. Like a Cutler signing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's something along those lines. Cutler, hey, Cutler listen, should be in like... Jacksonville. That would be great. <laughs> Let's just get all of those I guys don't under... I, I'm going to be absolutely fascinated with the Cutler saga this offseason because I just cannot – I don't have any idea who would ever go after him. Um. Well, let, let's play – Like where little... he fits. Like what? what's the scenario? Okay, like in – all right, before you go looking at teams and thinking about it, Yeah. what – What's the scenario for a team wanting Jay Cutler? A young quarterback that's super raw or maybe no quarterback scenario and he's a stopgap? Is that it? Uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, do you have do you have to be able to sell yourself on what he was at one point and think maybe we can get something close to that? I, I don't I yeah, can't I, imagine a scenario where I'm you're saying. bringing in Cutler. 
But somebody's, I mean, somebody's exactly. obviously going to. Um, How about the Texans? Yeah, that that came to me too. With like an incentive, heavy incentive. Look, what did your boys? <laughs> you want him back Daniel in Denver? You. you want him back in Denver? No, I I, I don't see that one happening. I no, not it's not going to happen, obviously. But <laughs> I just want to know. Like, okay, <sighs> what about? Okay, so your how much did what was the Eagles deal with with Chase Daniel? Oh, it's disgusting. Um, three years, like twenty seven guaranteed or something, up to like thirty five. Okay. Oh, all right, and then you just said Osweiler's like three for 51. 45-ish? Yeah. 51. 51, okay. So Cutler's, Cutler's probably getting around that. I mean, he's 30. He's going to be 31 probably next year is my mm-hmm. guess. Maybe more, maybe 32. Um, he's probably getting more than that, right? So it's got to be a team that is reasonably close that thinks that they, they had Cutler and they're a Super Bowl team. Right? You don't want to know what's left on Jay Cutler's contract. <laughs> well, he's out. He's yeah, off this year. He's done. I know, but the heat, oh my God. Cutler had four years left 12 5, 13 5, 17 5, 19 2. Yeah. Oh my God. Which he's not going to get. Obviously not, no, but yeah, I don't know. You know, the Jets, could that be a team? They're just constantly looking for a quarterback? Hmm. That's that's a very interesting spot. What about what about the the Bills? What are they doing with Tyrod? Is he definitely back? Is he definitely their guy? I think he's going honestly. Okay, well, there's another guy. I mean, I think Ty, I'd rather have Tyrod than Cutler. Yeah, oh, me too, unquestionably. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So now it's a very interesting scenario. You rarely see this many decent starting quarterbacks or guys you can at least talk yourself into, right? That have at least had some yeah. level of NFL success, all being out there. Yeah, I mean, maybe do the 49ers take a shot? That's just could be. And hope that they get something out of them. There's not many there's not many landing spots in the NFC. You really only And have, how so how does You only have San Francisco and, how, how, and that's pretty much it. San Francisco is about the only team that needs a quarterback in the NFC. Hmm. Well, what about Arizona? I, I thought about that too. You bring do you bring in Cutler as sort of an insurance policy and the, the next guy to learn under learn under Carson for a year? Because I mean that that's Carson's yeah. team. I think they want to stick with him as long as they can. Oh God, he sucked this year. He was not he, good. He absolutely sucked um, this year, no question. So I mean maybe maybe they feel maybe Aaron feels like he owes him it and this is like his last run. It's gonna be with Carson and Fitz and whatever. Mm. But what about Minnesota? I mean, you have Bradford under contract for another year, plus Bridgewater coming back. Maybe, but yeah, you're right. No, they're not. They're not signing. They're not making a big investment I mean, either it, way. It might be an option so, on Bradford, but still, I think he's going to be back. But so you factor. So let's say we're, the names we're throwing out there: are Cutler, mm-hmm. Taylor. Right? They're both going to be available. Yeah. Romo, yep. and then we haven't even said Garoppolo, McCarron. I don't. I don't buy. Uh, I don't believe that Garoppolo is ever going to be available. I think the only way the Patriots would trade him is if somebody's giving up multiple first-round picks. Because I think the Patriots oh. are Patriots are an organization that enjoys a succession plan. And Garoppolo, Garoppolo seems like the ideal guy to go take over from Brady. This has got to be Brady's last year, right? He's going to be 40 this year? You'd think that, but, I mean, has he shown, given any indication that it is his last year by any, in any way? No, but, I mean, uh, that that's hard because that also gets into the question of, 
at what point do you go away from maybe the greatest quarterback to ever play the game because because he's you know 41 years old and declining skills yeah but, that's but, hard i mean that and what you also you're talking about a ruthless gm slash coach yeah and you're talking about a guy that uh, i mean garoppolo you're now you're you were talking about investments with texans and i granted those guys are terrible but well, like the quarterbacks we were talking about there were terrible, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, how much are you paying Bray and Garoppolo after this year? Well, I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. I think it has to be, I think it has to be just Garoppolo. I think Brady, there's going to be one more year Garoppolo plays under Brady and, mm-hmm. and then it's so his you're team. You're going to bail? Wow. You have to. You're going to bail on Brady. But you have to. He's going to be 41 that next year. At some point, uh-huh. at some point you need to start thinking about the future. Yeah, of course. I'm sure they're thinking about it today, but I but I'm saying all right, fair enough. Like so you're saying that you can still get Garoppolo one more year. Well, this year, right? He's a free he's technically potentially franchisable. Um is he? I but otherwise he, he'd be he's a restricted. Is he restricted this year? I thought he had one more year. We can uh, There's very little chance I'm going to spell Garoppolo right. <laughs> Let's find out. I did not. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. It's, do, while I'm looking this up, what do you think? Where do you stand on McCarron? Because this is a guy I've heard people talk really highly of as an up-and-coming quarterback. But I mean, is, has he really done anything? No, I look. I, I don't know what the cost is for McCarron. I've heard. I've read second rounder. Uh-huh. Uh, that is, I would not give up that for. AJ McCarron, and I—I I, granted he's been in the league a couple of years. He seems rock solid. He's been—he's played in some big games both in college and in the pros. But mm. yeah, I—I I would not invest the second rounder and the money that it would be required to take him. I'd rather just spend the second rounder on a guy I like, not this year, but maybe next year, um, yeah. or just stopgap it with. You know, I—I'm not there with McCarron. So Garoppolo has. Um... He's going to make $820,000 next year in 2017, unrestricted free agent in 2018. Ooh. So they can franchise him at that point, right? Yeah, but after next year. Right. Okay, okay. So next year they can still do it. They can ride this thing out for one more year, and then you're saying at that point you say, see you, Brady. Um, That is a long way away from now. So I I, and I agree. You know, even if he's good one more year after that, you still kind of just say – all right, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Brady's going to be – he'll be 40 years old when we start this NFL season. How many guys have – you know, obviously Tom Brady is not is not any other guy, but how many guys have had success playing at 40 who aren't, well, who aren't knuckleballers? Favre was 40, right? Uh, I'm trying far? to think. He, I mean, he might have played when he was 40. I'm not saying he was good. It might have been that last year where he was kind of terrible. Right, and that's, um, that's the thing. The to... Patriots are – you know, they don't – it's nice that – it's nice that Tom Brady's still able to play, but you know, they want to do what gives them the best chance to win a championship. And I, I think they would make a tough decision to move on from Tom Brady. I think you have to. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I agree, and I think they will. But I, I just, I guess I, I was a year ahead. If they, if it was this off season, that would have been super interesting. Yeah. What do you what do you think of Garoppolo? Right. Are you, are you sold on what we've seen from him in the limited time he's gotten the opportunity to play? No, I I don't think you. I look, we're comparing. We have to. You have to look at him through the lens of 
how would you feel about investing that pick in a quarterback for yeah. the draft? So I feel better about him in that light. Okay. But I don't feel great about him as like, look, if you're you're asking me if I'm trading a first and a second rounder for him, no, God, no, definitely not. And not next year, especially when I can get, you know, I can get Rosen yeah. or Rudolph or Any of the, five you know, the guys that we talked about, about at length. Yeah. I, so no, I, I'm not, I'm not with that, but I, I do understand liking him. I definitely put him in a different group than McCarran or some of these other guys we've talked about, but I no, I'm not investing multiple first two day picks on, on Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. There's some, uh, some rumblings that the bears might be interested in that. It might cost them the number three overall pick in the draft plus something else. Yeah. Oh man. I, I would almost be okay with that if I was the bears because they're just so dead in the water. And I would, and I think that if Ryan Pace has another really bad season, there's a good chance that he and Fox and everyone else is out of there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I, I wouldn't necessarily do it this coming year. Um, Like I would want to make sure that I have my pick in the next draft, because I think that that one's a better one. And, you know, whatever you've invested in McCarran this year, you can potentially I'm sorry, in Garoppolo this year, you could potentially get back trading down in next year's draft. For mm-hmm. Assuming you have Garoppolo, now you can trade it to a team who wants a quarterback and you can get back some of those picks that you've lost in New England. So, um, yeah, I, I I get one pick and maybe a third rounder in this year's draft, but I would not do it next year. Yeah, so uh, potentially the Patriots could come out of the draft with a guy like Jonathan Allen to add to that defense. Oh, oh my yeah, God. That, that wouldn't be terrible. Sure. <laughs> oh geez yeah, it seems a little unfair. that would be something all right but so... you know then next year they're screwed because now who's replacing brady you got jacoby Brissett. is that your guy i, I don't, know. don't know i don't i don't think he's a he's an nfl starting quarterback but i'm sure they'll find somebody else from middle tennessee university and uh he'll, sure. be, he'll be the next jimmy garoppolo uh real quick <laughs> let's talk uh the <laughs> The Pittsburgh, uh, the Pittsburgh, Kansas City game. We have two divisional playoff games from Sunday, and much better games than the Saturday games. But we don't have too much time to talk about them. So let's start with the Pittsburgh, Kansas City game real quick. This is, you know, it, it didn't feel like it was as close as it was to me. Kansas City scores late, completes a two-point conversion, only to have it pulled back because of a holding call. Uh, I don't know. Uh, too much to ask for Dallas and Pittsburgh to lose in one weekend, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the six field goals just seems like an outlier rather than a lack of execution or yeah. whatever. By the, I mean, that is the case, but, uh, you know, I think that that's sort of a fluke, um, if anything. And so I, I think that that game could have really spun out of control. I thought the Chiefs played well. I thought the Chiefs would win. Mm-hmm. The defense was good but the Steelers were just way better and even with a clearly somewhat hindered Ben Roethlisberger uh the Steelers proved they could move the ball Le'Veon Bell's on another level right now compared to every other running back well maybe not Zeke but every other running back and yeah. uh you know I think I think the yeah those Chiefs were lucky that it didn't spin way way further out of control and I think that that game now next week really is looking like a very interesting one that I'm I'm struggling with picking honestly Agreed. All right, and a game near and dear to your heart, the uh, number four Green Bay Packers against the number one Dallas Cowboys. And uh, in a game where I texted you at one point that in the moments that I watched, the 
the uh, Cowboys were leading the Packers 17 nothing, and at this point the Packers were still up like eight points. Um, yeah. What what happened here? And I promptly replied not to respond. Yeah, well, not to, to yeah. You probably you probably replied that I should stop watching. So <laughs> thanks for that, buddy. Um, but uh, fair enough. You're welcome. So, what did you take from this game? And uh, I was, I'll tell you, I was literally composing a tweet that said Jared Cook is going to lose this thing for the Packers before he made that final <laughs> That's as a true story. Oh, man. Jared Cook is a different player with Aaron Rodgers. I think that's, that's kind of what I take away. The Packers with, Aaron, with Jared Cook and Aaron Rodgers together have been much better than the Packers without Jared Cook. But and he I dropped think you could two make big passes. Well, all right, one of those was tips, by the way. But right, he well, did drop yeah. another one. But he also made an absolutely enormous historic catch, yes. frankly, yes. on the sideline. And he made a couple other really nice plays. I, and it's not just about Jared Cook's ability or inability or whatever. It's His size changes the entire dynamic of the offense in a way that your Michael Finley did mm-hmm. back in the day. He's a big target that gives him a lot of different options. And I would argue that – his impact is as big as Jordy Nelson's for this offense because not because he's as good as Jordy Nelson, which he's, he's obviously not, but the command that he takes from the defense and his size, it's, it's a game changer for Aaron Rodgers. You can tell that he's able to do different things that he otherwise wouldn't be able to. And, uh, and he's a unique, unique chess piece for that offense. And um, he clears out room for guys like Adams and Cobb who are sort of, they're, you know, they're not great. They're good. They're not great. But he gives them room to operate and gives Rodgers opportunities to break out and, and find him down the field. That's one more guy that they wouldn't have if they had, like, Richard Rodgers out there instead. So yeah. um, that was honestly my takeaway. Not the brilliance of Aaron Rodgers, which I think is it's pretty commonplace at this point, and the way he was able to carry the team without Jordy is amazing. Mm. But, but to me, it was, it was seeing the impact of Jared Cook in that game and what he can do and how important he'll be next week for them. All right, 15 seconds each. Packers-Falcons, what's your prediction? I'm riding that 12 train, baby. I think that the the true best player in the league is going to lead them to a win this weekend. I think that Jordy Nelson will play. Really? And I think that they're – yeah, I, I really do. I think that he's going to play. Okay. And I think that I, I even if he doesn't, the way that this offense has operated the last eight quarters against – far better defenses than the Falcons um, is impressive. And I think that they can do that against this Falcons team. And the Falcons are going to put up points. The over-under is 60. It's good. They're going to score 70 points combined probably at least. But I, I'm taking Rodgers over Ryan. And uh, we have the Steelers and the Patriots playing. This, to me, is kind of like Darth Vader's fighting Darth Maul. You know, if, <laughs> if both of them could somehow lose, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, hey, like I said, this is really tough. I'm going to take New England. I'll take Darth Maul. Um, they're just they're just too good. They're at home. Roethlisberger is not as good on the road. It was kind of my rationale behind the Chiefs pick. But I do think the Patriots are super vulnerable right now. I, I thought that they potentially could have lost that game last week into a better quarterback, like I said. And um, But I, I think that they'll add just one out, and I don't expect a ton of points to get scored. All right, so there you have it. We will uh, certainly be back to talk about those games next week. But for now, this has been the Deepest Thoughts Podcast, episode number 10. Chris Wardell, Anshu Khanna, thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.